The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We have some hard words from our Lord Jesus today, but they are appropriate to this occasion as we are smack dab in the middle of Lent. The focus of Lent is repentance. It's turning away from sin which separate us, the sins that separate us from our Lord, and turning towards Him in trust and faith in His promises. Well, the focus of the Christian life ought to be repentance, but Lent provides us this unique opportunity to look at those passages of Scripture where Jesus specifically calls for repentance and for us to bear fruit even. And in this week's text, that is exactly what He does. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't soften His words. He goes straight to the heart. He cuts us to the quick and His words are meant to disturb us and to shake us up. But if you let Him do His work on you, then you will find that there is also a wonderful promise at the end. I'm not going to leave you hanging. Jesus isn't going to leave you twisting in the wind, wondering whether or not your sins are truly forgiven. So just stick with me through this sermon. Stick with me as we look at this passage in two parts. The first part is the call for repentance, and the second part, the call for fruit. Jesus was in the middle of teaching on several subjects. He was covering a wide range of topics regarding the kingdom of God. When someone in the crowd, a group of people spoke up in the crowd and they asked his opinion on a current news headline. This happens from time to time. We're in Bible study or, you know, uh, or we're holding court there in the lobby or what have you. And we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the kingdom. And then all of a sudden someone says, Vicar Ryan, what do you think about this? And they'll come with a headline, right? <laughs> what are we supposed to think about this? It's common. We all do it. We do it with, with, uh, with people that we respect, that we know and love. We ask these questions. So apparently, during the Passover Seder, some Galilean Jews were slaughtering their lambs in the temple, according to custom. And during their act of worship, Pilate, the governor, sent in troops to slaughter the Galileans, And to not only slaughter them, but to mix their blood with the blood of the sacrifices. Why would he do this? He would do this to send a message, a political message. Not only did he want to kill them, he wanted to humiliate them. He wanted to bring sacrilege upon their place of worship. This was totally in step with what Pilate would have done. He was known to be vindictive. He was known to be capricious on several occasions. So this was totally according to his M.O., It was a horrifying atrocity committed by this man who was at enmity with God. We confess something about Pilate in our creeds. Is he a good guy in our creed? No. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. So what does Jesus have to say on this subject? What does Jesus think about this recent news item? Well, just like you and I, they were likely expecting Jesus to bring down a harsh condemnation on Pilate. Get him, Jesus. He was the one who committed this murderous act of sacrilege, after all. What do you think, Jesus? Well, Jesus might surprise you here. Instead of going there, he uses that headline as an object lesson. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? 
It was common thinking in those days, and it's still common thinking today, that if someone suffered such a fate, they probably deserved it because they probably really messed up somewhere in their lives. It's this idea of karma. What goes around comes around. So they probably had it coming. I mean, it's sad and everything, but they probably had it coming. Jesus addresses this incorrect thinking. He said, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So instead of Jesus giving them a hot take on this current event, he points them to repentance. Turning away from their sin and turning towards God in faith, lest they perish eternally. Because Jesus isn't all that interested in discussing your politics. He's more interested in connecting current events and headlines to our need for repentance and the forgiveness of sins. He even brings in a headline of his own. He references 18 people who were killed by a falling tower near the pool of Siloam. Here there is no political villain to blame. There are no martyrs to mourn. There is only tragedy. It is a freak accident. Again, common thinking would have suggested or proposed that these guys probably deserved it. They probably had it coming on account of some big sin that they committed. But Jesus says this instead. He says, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So what is the principle here that Jesus is getting at? He refer- we have these two headlines, one brought up by the Galileans, one brought up by Jesus himself. What is he getting at? Why is he using these as an object lesson? Well, horrible things happen all the time in this world as a result of us living under the corruption and bondage of sin. Whether people die at the hands of tyrannical leaders or whether they die because of an accident or anything in between, those events cannot always be so easily tied to specific sins. Rather, they are tied to sin in general. What do I mean? Horrible things happen in this world because all have sinned. All have sinned. We have all contributed to this desperate situation. All have sinned. Not too long ago, some Christians were quick to, uh, they were quick to look at the tragedy of Hurricane Katrina. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to attribute that tragedy to specific sins of coastal Louisiana. I don't know if you saw stuff online or in the news and what have you. Well, God must be judging them. Too sinful in coastal Louisiana, so God had to take them out. More recently, here in, in recent memory, just yesterday, <laughs> we've monitored COVID death totals in red states and blue states. And if death goes if death rates go up in one or or another, we say, well, see. See, it must be because of their sins, depending on your political leanings, right? It's a way to take pot shots at the other tribe. We are in this information age. We're constantly plugged into what's going on around us. We have this steady 
stream, a steady flow of headlines that are meant to drudge up righteous indignation at the injustices in our world. That is how headlines are crafted. Social media pages are programmed to give us dopamine hits so that we keep scrolling, keep scrolling, and stay on edge for the next disaster. Maybe we'll even put a little flag or an icon next to our avatar or our Twitter handle so that we can show that we support the current thing. For us currently, Pilate is Putin. Pilate is Putin. He is a mad tyrant carrying out atrocities for political gain. But you know what, you know what Jesus would say to us if we asked him? Jesus, what do you think about what's going on in Ukraine? We might not like the answer. It doesn't accord with our political leanings. There's only one correct response to these situations, is what Jesus would say. Repentance. The Christian impulse, in other words, is not to look at tragic situations and ask who to blame. That's what I want to do. That's my first reaction, is to look at bad stuff and go, well, who can I pin this on? Who's responsible for this? One of the seminary professors, Arthur Just, he says this. He says, Jesus calls not for speculation. Why is this happening? He calls not for speculation, but for contrition and faith. To be sorry for sins and turn towards Him and trust and faith. The Christian conclusion is not this. The Christian conclusion is not, they must have deserved it, but rather, I deserve the same. And also, thank God that Jesus perished on behalf of me and of all so that I might not perish eternally. That's our response, our first response to tragedy. Besides prayer and mourning and all those things. We look at those things and we say, I deserve no better. Because I have sinned. But thank God that Jesus died for me so that I would not die in eternity. So now you have the only appropriate response to the next headline you read. It's, it's that response that Jesus calls you to. Turn from sin and trust in your Savior. Turn from sin and trust in your Savior. Pandemics, strike. What's your response? Repent. I was joking with the Bible study earlier. That's why in, during the pandemic, during the two plus years or what have you, and we're still not out of it, it's felt like an extended season of Lent. Because <laughs> it causes us to despair of our own condition to turn from those things that keep us from God and turn towards Him and His promises. So now we move from this difficult teaching to Jesus' parable and His call for fruit. He reinforces this difficult teaching he had. He tells this parable in our last few verses about the result of true repentance. This is what true repentance looks like, is that it brings fruit with it. That we bear fruit. He says, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, 
Let it alone this year. Let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Last year after we had Ezra, our baby boy, uh, Corey decided that she was done taking care of the garden for a time. She had way too many things on her plate. She said, I've got too, I've got too many creatures to keep alive right now. Can't keep alive this garden. So rather than let the garden go to pot, I took up the task of tending to it myself. And although I, I knew very little about gardening, and I still don't know a whole lot, but I was especially interested in our cantaloupe because it had not yielded anything. And I desperately wanted to bite into a ripe, juicy, homegrown cantaloupe. So every day, twice a day, I watered that thing. I would daydream about this cantaloupe. I would sit in my office and think about this cantaloupe. I can't wait to water this cantaloupe when I get home. I would think about that fruit that's going to pop up at any time, you know. I would nurse it. I would try to keep insects from getting to it. I would do whatever I could to see to its growth. And this went on for months, well past the time of season when cantaloupe produces. Corey would tell me over and over, she would tell me, you need to just give up on this thing, you know? You're out there slaving away in this garden. You need to just give up. And It wasn't going anywhere, especially that cantaloupe. That's part of gardening, right? Sometimes it doesn't work out. I don't, I don't like that. It's like I put in the work, should produce fruit, but sometimes it doesn't work out in gardening. But I, I dug in my heels. I kept going at it and going at it and going at it until finally admitting defeat months later. And it was a huge bummer when I had to pull up that cantaloupe and toss it onto the burn pile. You know, Corey started a new garden here recently, and we'll try again this year. We've got some cantaloupe in there, and, and I'm optimistic, you know? But we'll see. Here's the vine dresser in his master's vineyard. The master comes and he wants to cut down the fig tree. It's growing there. It's not doing anything. It's not serving its purpose. It's taking up space. It's not bearing fruit for the master to bite into one of those ripe, juicy, ripe, juicy figs. But the vine dresser intercedes. Just give me time. Let me put, let me put some manure down. Let me dig around the plant. Let me get to the roots. Let me fertilize this thing. Let me tend to it. Let me water it for just a while longer. You can cut it down later if it doesn't produce anything. The patient vine dresser in this parable is Jesus. And specific to this context, when Jesus is speaking, the vineyard was Israel. According to Isaiah chapter 5, Israel was called the, the vineyard. The fig tree was those in the vineyard who had not borne fruit. Namely, those Jews who rejected Jesus even though he came with a message of repentance and forgiveness during his earthly ministry. This fig tree were those Jews near Palestine that rejected Jesus. And as we saw last week, Jesus actually lamented over them. He mourned over them because of their eventual fate. It was this fig tree that was about to be ripped up and burned, and it did in A.D. 70 with the judgment of Jerusalem. But... Well, that's the historical context, this parable also applies to the church. 
Because the church is the new Israel. We have been grafted in, to use the plant, the uh, horticultural language. We've been grafted in to the vineyard. And as those who have been grafted into God's people in place of what was ripped out of the ground, we need to heed these stern warnings. In the first part of this passage, Jesus calls us to repent so that we may avoid the judgment of God. That was the first part of this text. Now here, calls us not only to repent, but to bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. What does this fruit look like? It's fruit that is produced by the Holy Spirit through the Word. Fruit that is produced by the Holy Spirit through the Word. This fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This fruit is the product of what only the Gospel does. What only the Gospel can produce. In other words, this fruit does not come through the strict keeping of the law. Rather, it comes through believing in and abiding in Jesus, who is your righteousness. He is your salvation. He is the one who produces fruit in your life. In Him, you have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Into Him, you are baptized and grafted into the true Israel. Jesus is the true Israel. You are grafted into Him through the waters of holy baptism. And it's through His Word. It's through His Word, which is sometimes harsh. Sometimes we don't want to hear it. It's through His Word that you are brought to true repentance and you are given true faith in His promises. So let me end by clearly stating Jesus' warning one more time and let me then clearly state His promise. So for those who are Christians... For those who are Christians and this call to repentance falls on deaf ears. For those who cannot be made to care about turning from sin, trusting in Jesus' mercy, bearing fruit. For those who are unmoved by Jesus' words and yet still claim to be Christian, the epistle lesson today says, Take heed lest you fall. Take heed lest you fall. In other words, Wake up. This is serious business. Wake up. Return to your baptism. And may the severity of God's judgment shake you out of your spiritual malaise and bring you to the end of yourself. And may the goodness and loving kindness of our God lead you to true repentance in accord with His will. And for those Christians that are with us today who feel burdened by these words. If you're listening and you're thinking, if you're thinking, I, I I want to abide in repentance. I want to bear fruit. I want to do those things. I want to take Jesus' words seriously. But it never seems like it's enough. Let me encourage you that whether you realize it or not, you are bearing fruit. You are bearing fruit because you are connected to Christ. And where you have come up short in bearing fruit, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven for the sake of Christ. 
And let me also point you to the patience and the forbearance of Jesus who will not give up on you. Where you are unfruitful in your life, Jesus intercedes for you and says, just give me more time with this one. Give me more time. Let me, let me spread some manure. Let me, let me tend to this thing. That's what he's doing in your life right now through the word and through the sacraments. He's making you into something that you cannot produce yourself. So abide in his word as he continues his work in your life. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.